years ago I met with this 25 year old from Winnipeg. He had a terrible history of abuse. This poor kid had seen so much in his short life. He wondered where God was in all of it. And I wondered with him. He sat across from me with a half liter plastic tumbler filled with water. It had a picture of a wrestler on the front. Curious, I asked him about it. And this is the story he told me. He'd been in and out of treatment a couple of times from the ages of 19 to 23. He told me that he'd been back home somewhere between treatment and full-out relapse living with his family. His older brother wanted to take him to the mall where one of his favorite wrestlers was signing autographs before a wrestling event that night at a local arena. So he and his brother went and stood in the long line just to get a signature, which is where he bought the cup. He said that he was looking rough. And when they finally got to the table, this wrestler looked up at him and said, Man, you look like me after a match. And my new friend explained that he was somewhere between treatment and relapse. He told me that this wrestler got up and walked around the table and gave him this big hug. He gives him a signed picture and wrote a note on the back, and he, he gives it to him along with VIP pass to the show that night. So later that evening... He went to this big wrestling event with his brother, and towards the end of the show, the wrestler was speaking to the crowd, and he looked into the audience, and he made eye contact with this young man, and he called him into the ring. He put his arm around his shoulders of this kid, and he told the crowd that this, this kid was wrestling with some big stuff in life, and that we all need to be a bit kinder to each other, because we just don't know what each of us is going through. <laughs> I know the irony of this moment. A professional wrestler telling the audience that is paid to watch them fight that they need to be kinder to each other. <laughs> but wait, there's more. And then this wrestler whispers into my friend, see her, to stick around. And after the show, they all went out and got something to eat. Now, you know I'm interrupting him as he's telling me this story. I just love these kinds of stories, filled with so many surprising details. He's eating wings and fries with his wrestling hero. But wait, there's more. Apparently this wrestler had messed up his life too. But he'd straightened it out and he got into wrestling. And would you believe it? God. I'll never forget the line this kid told me though. He said that this wrestler looked at him and he said, I can't fix you, but I can help set you free. And he wrote his cell number on the back of a napkin. And he told this kid that he was loved and that God had plans for him. Two years later, and this kid is sitting across from me, telling me this story. I was like, that is a crazy story. He said, yeah, yeah, it was. I said, what did you do with that phone number? He said, it's taped behind the signed pick on my bedroom wall back in Winnipeg. I asked him if in the past couple of years he ever called it. He looked at me and he said, no. I looked at him and I said, listen, I can't fix you, but I can help set you free. When God sends a messenger into your life dressed in spandex briefs and leotards, and he gives you a cell number on a napkin and tells you to call, you hit the digits. When you get back to Winnipeg, make the call. 
That story has so much synchronicity in it that it can't be ignored. Sometimes we cannot fix each other, but that doesn't mean we cannot help set each other free. We can do something, but not doing everything is no excuse for not doing something more than nothing. Luke tells this story of Jesus, who's a visiting um, guest at a, at a synagogue on a Sabbath. Not unusual. Those that tell us about Jesus in their biographies give us good reason to believe that Jesus was a regular. And in Luke chapter 13, Luke records this story of Jesus teaching one Sabbath morning. And while he's teaching, he seems to be distracted by a particular woman in the back of the room. This woman was experiencing a physical condition that had her bent over for 18 years. The text tells us that it was a spirit of infirmity that caused her to not be able to stand up straight. And for almost two decades, she's been bent over and hunched. And Jesus sees her and has compassion on her. And he calls her forward. The way Luke records the story, it seems that Jesus interrupts his teaching because he was so moved by what he sees. So this woman comes up to the front where Jesus is, and he says to her, Woman, be free of your infirmity. Which is to say, you don't have to be like this any longer. And he puts his hands on her, and she straightened up, and she gave thanks to God. Now this could be the end of the story, and it would be a beautiful ending. But wait, there's more. Now the synagogue ruler was indignant because Jesus did this on the Sabbath, and worked is considered forbidden, even healing. And so he, the guy in charge, turns to the people who've come that morning, and he says, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. So really, he's speaking to the woman who came with her affliction. He isn't chastising Jesus, but those who are sick and hurting. He seems to be trying to intimidate anyone else from future healing-type shenanigans. Talk about an awkward moment. But wait, there's more. Jesus calls out to this guy. Actor. Now the actual word he uses is is hypocrite, which in the Greek is a theater word. It's a peculiar word, not used often. It literally means actor, pretender. It's considered a loan word from the Greek without a real equivalent, and it's definitely unique. It would have been a provocative word to use in a synagogue that morning, especially to this synagogue ruler, calling him a hypocrite. The fact that Jesus used it meant that he had a familiarity with the term. Interestingly, Jesus grew up in Nazareth, a small hamlet of about 200 people, which was six kilometers away from a city of 25,000 called Sephoris. Sephoris, the name comes from a Hebrew word meaning bird, most likely because it was perched almost a thousand feet above sea level. It's a rich and diverse city, and archaeologists have found a Roman theater there that sat 4,000 people. Some scholars believe Jesus would have visited Sephoris a lot growing up only six kilometers away. Some theorize that he possibly worked there as a day laborer, possibly helping build this theater as a carpenter, which would account for his knowledge and use of the term. Regardless, it would have been intentional. It was a provocative choice that Sabbath morning. Listen to Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this synagogue ruler's response to Jesus. 
The meeting place president, furious because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the congregation, Six days have been defined as work days. Come on one of those six if you want to be healed. But on the seventh, that is the Sabbath. But Jesus shot back, you fraud, which is a paraphrase of hypocrite. Each Sabbath, every one of you regularly unties your cow or donkey from its stall, leads it out for water, and you think nothing of it. So why isn't it right for me to untie this daughter of Abraham and lead her from the stall where the adversary has had her tied for these 18 years? Then he, when he put it that way, the critics were left looking quite silly and red-faced. The congregation was delighted and cheered him on. It's important to note that the congregation didn't necessarily share the same views of Sabbath law that the synagogue ruler did. This isn't Jesus against Judaism. This is Jesus confronting an attitude that is limiting access to a world of wholeness and healing and life. It's also good for us to understand that at this time in Jewish history, someone's affliction was often thought of as caused by an evil spirit or perhaps caused by sin. There are times when evil spirits are cast out by Jesus, like the Gerasene demoniac, and then there are times that someone afflicted by what they call a spirit is just healed. What's interesting in this passage is the writer calls it a spirit of infirmity, and then Jesus heals this affliction. Even more interesting is Jesus tells the woman that she is released from her infirmity. He touches her, and he frees her from her weakness, and she stands up. Now, we can sit around and debate the cause of this woman's affliction. Was it a spirit? Was it physical? Was it psychological? Was it a combination? Regardless, we can find ourselves 18 years later with no answers and a woman still hunched over and unable to sit up. Here's why I think this matters. We no longer live in a culture where we believe sickness is attached to evil spirits, yet we're fully aware of how our beliefs affect our well-being. In so many ways, the spirits that afflict us are just as real. Sure, the names have changed, but there are so many detrimental things that affect how we view ourselves, others, and the world we live in. And when we give in to those ideas, those attitudes, they physically affect our lives over time. We don't see them as disembodied ghosts, but they are evil no less because they oppress, they destroy. So I read this passage of this woman afflicted for 18 years who progressively becomes more and more unable to stand up. And let's assume this is her local synagogue. Jesus has told us she's Jewish. It's more than likely that this is where she's come for 18 years of Sabbath. What stands out to me is the fact that the synagogue ruler says, listen, she could come back anytime Monday to Friday. She could have been healed, you know, during normal business hours. So why, why are we doing this on the Sabbath? There's this assumption in his comments, I think, that it's not just Jesus that could have healed her. But the synagogue ruler speaks about this healing like it's as simple as buying groceries or getting your tires rotated at Canadian Tire. Make an appointment and come back later. The ruler talks like healing is something easily accessed through the days of the week. Why was she allowed to struggle for 18 years if that's the case? I did the math. 18 years, that's 216 weeks of Monday to Fridays. The issue isn't that she wasn't able. The issue is that nobody was willing. 
I'm curious and wonder aloud, why did Jesus see? Was it a reflection? Or was it the chronic weight of her burden? Did Jesus see more than just her posture? I'm not naive to believe that just anyone could have touched this woman and healed her back. But I am naive enough to believe that many could have helped alleviate her burden. And maybe some did. But on this morning, hmm. I don't think the synagogue ruler was being a jerk. We often paint first century Pharisees and synagogue managers as cold-hearted idiots. I believe they were just caught up in a system that was just concerned with other things they felt were more important to them. And I can find myself in that mindset. I can forget to look around the room and realize that there are others with more immediate burdens. I might not be able to fix them, but can I help them set them free? We are living in a world like that, aren't we? These same systems exist, political systems, religious systems, social systems. How blind have we been, living our lives unaffected by the suffering of others? How have we not seen these injustices, these, the lack of accessibility? It's easy to feel overwhelmed by everything that is making the news, but we can't let it. Instead, we need to begin changing our own ideas and actions that are holding others back. We have to stop filling our cups by emptying someone else's. It's our privilege that allows us to speak about this from the doorway in third person. Suffering in our culture has been going on for longer than 18 years. Suffering that is affecting the lives of black men and women and their children. Suffering that has afflicted those who are singled out because of their sexuality. Um, injustice that has been justified against our indigenous brothers and sisters and this affliction, this oppression, so part of the systems we live in that so many are shocked to hear of it now, wondering, how could I not have seen this? Some wishing it would just all go away. After all, don't we have enough to deal with? Come back another time, we can strike up a committee to address racial injustice or equal rights, sacred lands and broken promises, pronouns and gender-neutral washrooms. But right now, we need to talk about interest rates and the price of gas. But just because someone else's burden doesn't look like yours, doesn't mean it isn't real, heavy, and paralyzing. For followers of Jesus, he's modeling something in this passage. He couldn't have said it any clearer, at least not for me. In this story, there are several spirits at work in this room on this day, not just the one that afflicts this woman. There's the spirit of apathy, of privilege, of judgmentalism. There are many spirits in the corporate, political, and religious boardrooms of our world, attitudes and ideologies that influence our thoughts and actions, fear, greed, and indifference, the most evil in my opinion. And while those spirits influence the actions and ideologies of many. Wait, there's more. There's another spirit at work. One that is always desiring to influence the heart of humanity. The one that the ancient scripture says hovers over creation. The one that fills my life with hope. The one that I hope animates my bones. The one that encourages me to risk for the freedom of others. One that convicts me to listen, to act, to change. The one that inspires those who have to share, to let go, to not only say sorry, but to be sorry. And the spirit that transforms, the spirit that sets free, the spirit that desires to make earth as it is in heaven, it's the spirit of Christ. 
one that interrupts to notice someone's agony, one that is not afraid of being misunderstood, one that confronts evil, not just as a disembodied spirit, but as a system, an ideology that oppresses the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Advocate, a presence Jesus gives to those who desire its influence. And so I don't pray for God's Spirit to come. It's already here. I pray for the courage to follow where it's leading. I pray to be able to distinguish between the voice of God encouraging sacrifice and love and the voice of my ego. So may we find ourselves in the Spirit of Jesus being interrupted by compassion. May we stop what we're doing many times in this coming week to do what is good. And may we learn to let go of what's right for what is better. And maybe not just better for us, but what can be better for those whose lives we don't have to understand in order to make them a bit easier. There's so much we cannot fix by ourselves, but that doesn't mean we cannot help set people free.